1: done. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are more than six weeks into the minor league season. A lot has happened already. A lot of players have popped up. A lot of high draft picks have come out and shown well. Josh Norris has been traveling all over the country. He's joining us here today to discuss some of the top prospects he's seen so far this year. Josh, there was a lot of uncertainty coming into the year just in terms of what is the game going to look like in the minor leagues between 40 teams being eliminated. The fact that these guys have not played in a real game setting in over a year aside from a couple of instructs games. Just a lot of people weren't sure what was going to happen. And one of the things that has happened before we dive into individual players here is the level of play across the minor leagues has dropped fairly significantly. You've been out seeing a lot of games, a lot of different levels. I've been out seeing a lot of games, a lot of different levels. We've been talking to scouts all over the country and objectively and measurably, the quality of play all across the minor leagues has dropped. I've seen a lot more 87 to 89 on the mound this year. We're seeing walks and strikeouts increase. We have pitchers throwing with worse control. We have hitters making less contact than ever and swing and missing more than ever. Defense is where it's been really noticeable. Plays just not being made that are pretty basic ground balls type of stuff. Everything that we have become accustomed to in terms of, okay, this is what it looks like at AAA, at double AA, at high A and low A really has had to be recalibrated. And the consensus has been high and low A. The quality of the baseball is significantly lower. And Triple AA, A. the sense is earlier in the year it was okay. But as we've seen, more and more injuries happen. The better guys get called up a little bit. It's thinned out, particularly on the pitching side. Now the word is AAA is, has gotten lower. Actually, it's worse than it was at the beginning of the year. In your travels across the country, does that square with everything you've seen?
2: To a degree, yes. And, you know, I, I don't always look at it through that lens. I'm That's not an area I tend to focus on. I, I'm i looking at – if I'm watching a game, I'm generally looking at three or four guys. And if they're good, they're good. And there's if there's kind of goat rodeos going on around them, well, that happens. There have been more goat rodeos this year. Let's put it that way. And it, places I wouldn't expect them. For example, we'll get into it later. I went to Bowie for one game to see Grayson Rodriguez. And in that game, there's a situation where Akron has a runner, I believe on first and he went to steal second and Adley Rutschman pops up and then throws to second and it would have been nice to get a pop time, but nobody covered. So it just went completely through in the center field. He may as well have been throwing it to the center fielder. Um, and that runner wound up being the winning run. Uh, <laughs> it was just like, I don't see that that often where nobody covers second base at all. Just nobody moved. And, and that's, that's been the biggest
1: thing. There's been a lot of, of fundamentals that have just been missed. And and the reason I bring this up is not to make this podcast a complain fest because no one wants to listen to that. But the reason I bring it up is every year we get this in the chats. Oh, is so-and-so ready to be in the majors? And the guy's in high A. And it's like, no, no player in high A is going to be in the majors at the end of this season with really, really rare exceptions like the Juan Soto's and Jose Fernandez's of the world. It, it's just... Jump is huge, and it's something that everyone always needs to take kind of a deep breath. Ooh, so and so's hitting 330 in high A. Are they ready for the majors? It means no, they're ready for double A, and that's the biggest jump in the minors to make. That's even more the case this year. And the reason I bring this up is the quality of play at all levels has dropped. There are a lot of balls that are dropping and getting through that are being counted as hits due to awful minor league official scoring that are not well, that's actually just hits. Rule. They, they, well, yeah, that, but some that's of a these. Rule. Well, no, some of these, I mean, I was at a game last night where I'm not kidding, four errors, like ball-touching guys' gloves, clear errors but were called hits, and just because plays are not being made. So uh, the point I want to bring up is as we see big numbers this year in the minor leagues, everyone needs to kind of take a step back and say, okay, that's awesome. Obviously, it's better to see a guy doing well under the circumstances than not doing well. But I think in the past, a lot of people would see, oh, so-and-so is hitting 310 in double A – Does that mean he's ready for the majors? And in the past, it would be, well, you know, case by case basis, maybe you want to see some things beyond just scouting the stat line, obviously. This year, the answer is a hard no, because that 310 they're hitting is not really a level that is going to be conducive to success against major league pitchers. The gap is really, really, really wide right now. So I think it's important to remember as we dive into players on this podcast, we talk about guys who look good, guys who are doing well in the past, it was always better to keep keep it in mind that these guys need another year or two it's not happening right away but i think that's especially true this year where the gap is going to be larger and i think everyone needs to kind of just take a step back when they see big numbers at low a high etc
2: yeah there's i mean i've seen a fair amount of low a since the Mudcats of carolina have become uh, low a and that's 25 minutes from my house so i go see that a fair amount um and they played Canapolis a fair amount. And Kannapolis was very bad to start this year and have gotten moderately better, but they were not good. Um, in a nutshell, there were, I forget when it was, but there were consecutive balls, might've been consecutive pitches where you hit a ball to the right field corner and it's on the warning track and it drops untouched. And then left field corner to the warning track drops untouched. And it's, what? Guy didn't run into the wall. Ball didn't hit the wall, ball just dropped. All right, well, this is not something you see often, but this team is very bad. Um, there's a lot of factors too, I think, especially especially at low A where you've got some guys who, because you, know, you can only have so many people in extended spring training, which you wanna get guys reps, um, are being pushed to low A before they're ready. And some guys who are still at low A, who should not be there and are too old for the level, and a mishmash of everybody, most everybody who didn't have much of a season last year, unless they were part of the lucky few to be at the ATS or did instructs. And there's a couple of teams that didn't do instructs at all. So there's guys, not that I've seen any of their guys, uh, didn't do uh, instructs also. They've been rusty. They've been doing whatever home workout they can. So it's a, it's a, a confluence of rust and inexperience and overexperience and just and even with like, Instructs and the ATS, it's not the same as playing under the lights in front of, let's say, a few hundred people uh, or a few thousand people in generous cases. I don't think it's been as bad at the upper levels. Now, granted, I'm spoiled if I get to see uh, Durham, which, phew, until recently, Wander Franco, Vidal Brujan, Josh Lowe, uh, Drew Strotman. Joe Joe Ryan. 15 i was getting there. Luis <laughs> Patino, Joe Ryan, uh, Drew Rasmussen in a little bit. Uh, guys who are and and guys who are maybe four A guys who are probably really good, but the quality of play at that at that particular club is always pretty, is always excellent. I mean they're they're spoiled. Like if it, if there's a goat rodeo out there, it, something's gone really wrong. And for those who don't know, a goat rodeo is when a series of errors combine. And it becomes one of those things that you kind of cock your head to the side and ask yourself, what did I just see? Like it's a triple play that might be like two, six, five, three, four, two, or some nonsense like that. There's usually a goat rodeo involved. I think what makes that a goat rodeo is actually if there's an
1: error on the play, but because of terrible base running, then it's still a triple play. So
2: I think yeah, I, I think the Yankees had a goat rodeo triple play this year, and they're three the Blue triple Jays. plays already turned. Yeah. yeah, against the
1: Blue Jays. So again, I think it's important to the reason we're bringing this up again is not to not to complain. It's just understanding when we're talking about players and how good they look. They're farther away from the majors than they are in a typical circumstance. So
2: and let's again, be clear here. I'm I don't care. I do not care. You can go out there and have a three-hour goat rodeo. We didn't have anything last year. I'm going to go watch, well, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but I'm going to watch Hillsborough Hops and Spokane and Eugene and Everett for the next two weeks uh, in some combination. Last year at this time, I was walking up and down my hill and seeing Blue Jays and Cardinals, and those were the feathered kind. I was watching them eat seeds, and I was slowly losing my mind The debate is out as to whether it's returned, my mind that is, but we've got baseball back and I'm, I do not care what the quality looks like right now. (laughs) It's better than nothing.
1: I think we can all agree on that. All right. So as we move forward, Josh, you went on a a fairly epic road trip across the Southeast and the Mid-Atlantic as well. So Josh drove from Durham to Chattanooga, seven and a half hour drive, was there for two days. Drove back Chattanooga to Durham. I should say Raleigh, actually, that's where he lives. Another seven and a half hours, took a day. Next day, drove Raleigh to Bowie, Maryland, five hours. From there, Bowie to Wilmington, two hours. And then back to Raleigh from Wilmington, seven hours. So Josh put together. And
2: then, and then three days after that, flew cross country to Oregon, where I am right now. And we're seeing the Northwest League, uh, sorry, the High A West.
1: So Josh basically put together uh, 30 hours on the road and uh, saw games in four different states in a span of six days, I believe it was.
2: Something like that. And had my car broken into, or at least attempted to be broken into. So there's that. Wilmington, (laughs) Wilmington, Delaware for the win, right? You know what? I've lived in Trenton, New Jersey, and I didn't have my car touched. Go to Wilmington, Delaware, and two days in, someone cuts a hole in my door and peels back the, the door frame and I don't know if they got anything because if if they wanted to there were a couple bags of recyclable cans and an old baseball mitt that used to belong to one of our editors who left and if they wanted that by all means so if they wanted the car by all means I have to
1: ask having never been to Wilmington Delaware is it a sketchy place or is it just a freak occurrence Uh, that
2: particular area was sketch but there are nicer places it's just like anywhere like there's sketch parts of everywhere I think and there's good parts of everywhere and there's sometimes the ratio is a little different but like i find when i go to certain parts of the country that you know it, it's not as bad or good as it's blown out to be right and i wouldn't have expected the, the, where where, there's, where the ballpark is in chattanooga tennessee there's all sorts of museums and shout out to everyone in slack who knows my anti-museum crusade that has turned into more of a bit than anything uh, but there's all sorts of aquariums and museums and nice little things right around there but my hotel uh, was in I don't know a town Walter White drew up uh, it was not great <laughs> there was well I, I this is the family podcast I can't go into what I saw and the things and the ways that it's, it's affected me but it, it was you know we're talking about a five mile eight mile difference and the uh, vibe of the places was not great or it was very good
1: Every place anyway. has its
2: good parts and its bad parts. Well, so I want to start
1: with Chattanooga. You saw some pretty impressive pitching matchups. Uh, Chattanooga was playing uh, the Marlins affiliate, Chattanooga's a Reds affiliate. During those couple games, you saw Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Max Meyer, Jake Eater. You also saw Jose Barrero, formerly known as Jose Garcia, the shortstop. What did you see from these guys? And really, of all these guys, who impressed you the
2: most? Nick Ladolo, I think. Um, granted, his outing was cut short. Because he had a blister occurrence In his previous start, then he came back And I guess the blister popped again And he had to leave he was, he was as dominant as I've seen a pitcher this season And then the blister popped and a slider went you know, To the backstop It didn't slide, it just it was 69 miles an hour And went, boop, hit the backstop And you could see he looked at his hand and was very upset But before that, he made two mistakes And they were, I think, hanging sliders Little baby hanging sliders To J.J. Blade, And he got singles on both of them but other than that, he was untouchable. The first inning, he threw ten pitches, ten strikes, one single to JJ Bleday, three strikeouts. So three, three pitch strikeouts and a first pitch single. He commanded everything from the left side. I mean, if he had, if you told me he'd gone a complete game shutout, uh, I would have believed you. He was that dominant. They didn't have a prayer against him. In certain, areas. it was a mid nineties fastball. Nasty breaking pitches, commanded wherever he wanted it to. The first pitch of the game, I thought he might throw an immaculate inning, and I was close. It was one pitch off, but and he had a couple of hiccups here and there. But he was really, really, really good. Hunter Green was also impressive. Um, he was up to 103, I think, 102, 103. Um, my gun might have been a little sketch so TrackMan would probably tell you better. But um, and he he had moments of dominance, um, which is what he does. Um, there he I I thought I was really impressed by the fact that he was able to hold that velocity throughout the the course of the outing, kind of ramp it up when he needed to. You could see he's a really uh, an intense competitor on the mound. He the slider when it's right is really really dirty. Um, there's a there's a cutter and there's a changeup in the mix too, but it's really, really fastball slider his bread and butter and second bread and butter um so he was he was really impressive too and i'm glad i got him when i got him because the next start was in triple a so yeah if i had gone there and he had got if i had driven seven hours and fun to the ballpark and found out he'd been promoted there would have been some swearing um
1: i want to jump in on lodolo here for a second he was the first round pick of the reds in 2019 seventh overall pick had a really really good pro debut then obviously 2020 didn't get a chance to pitch because no one got a chance to pitch but It's been really, really impressive what he's done so far this year, jumping to double-A, has a 0.90 ERA in six starts. Uh, But what really jumps out is the 45 strikeouts to six walks in 30 innings. I mean, he's been pounding the strike zone, getting swings and misses, only 19 hits allowed. I mean, it it seems like, at least on paper, everything really you'd want to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he and George Kirby are the two guys that, if you see a walk from those guys, you feel like you've seen a comet or, or a Sharknado or something. Uh, it, it's the same effect that it, in the minor leagues, at least, when you saw a swing and miss from Wander Franco, it was like, oh, I want my money back. But
1: uh, I saw him swing and miss a lot. It was the strangest thing. Apparently, Wander Franco never swung and missed unless I was in the ballpark.
2: I went, I, I saw him 14, the first, first, I think it was either 11 or 14 games that I saw him, he swung and missed once. It was
1: Whereas the games nuts. I saw when he was in the Appy League, I went up a couple times uh, when Princeton came into Danville and uh, I think I saw him strike out a couple times and there were lots of swings and misses. It was the strangest thing. And apparently he never swung and missed ever again. That's obviously hyperbole, but you get, you get the point. It was no, whenever totally I was, whenever, whenever I was in the ballpark, it, you know, I saw things that apparently no
2: one else ever saw happen. <laughs> um, So you, you do have the magic touch as well. Uh, I'll get to that later. But uh, he, he um, Nick Lodolo, you know, doesn't walk many people. He, he came into this season without a walk to his credit in professional ball. Granted, he only pitched so many innings with Billings or, and Dayton. No, Dayton. Billings and or Dayton? One of those. The lower levels of the red system. And George Kirby was the same way with Everett two years ago. But, you know, he, wherever the catcher put the mitt, that's where he threw it. That was pretty much it. It does sound more simple than that. It, it's really impressive to see his athleticism. He's, a, he's got multiple sports in his background, and you can tell because that's, that's a delivery that's not super easy to repeat or shouldn't be, but he, uh, he does it, and those hitters, granted, he was not facing the 27 Yankees out there, uh, but, you know, they didn't have a chance. I wanted to
1: jump in on Hunter Green here for a second. You mentioned the velocity was really impressive, and that's always been the big thing with him is it's eye-popping velocity. We saw it in high school. We saw it in the Futures game. But at times, the question has been, is there a secondary pitch in there? And despite the velocity, there were times in the past where it would get squared up. What did you see from him in terms of, A, the quality of his slider, and B, how the fastball played beyond just the velocity gun reading? He
2: needs to command it better. He needs to command everything better. The slider, I mean, when it's right, you don't touch it. You just don't. It's filthy. Um, there, he just needs to, like I said, Lodolo, if you can give him a half grade of Ladolo's command, you have a monster. Um, I also think you know, people we talk to say that he might wind up being a closer. That's great. That's good value. Talking to him, I've talked to him twice and you could see that this guy wants it really bad. He has a lot of things he wants to accomplish in his life In his career, and I would not put any of them out of the question. He it's going to take some 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 more development, but shocker, that's what the minor leagues are for. Um, you know, he 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 gave up four home runs at his first start in AAA, and last night he it was five shutout with like six or eight punch outs. So he made either either he made some adjustments, or the hitters got worse. But he he there's a lot of really good pieces there, and I'm glad we got him back on the top 100. Like. I would not as a matter of principle I would not give up on a starter for a guy who can hold 99 to 103 for 6 innings. If he, I'm sorry like that's not that's that's not something that comes around long. I know there's a lot of velocity today, but there's not a whole lot of guys who can hold that kind of velocity for that long and you let that guy get as many chances as you can to start. If you're in contention and you want to bring him up and put him in the bullpen, fine but let this guy, uh, you know, a top of the rotation starter is as valuable as you can be. And I would give this guy every chance in the world to achieve that ceiling.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. Again, it's, it's a great arm. There's a lot of good background there and,
2: and everything seems to be moving in the right direction. So yeah, it's, it's um, like, I've seen a lot of good arms in my day. I didn't see anything like this. Like I, when you see a hundred, it's like, all right, cool. When you see 101, 102, one, two, that's cool when you just keep seeing it, are you kidding me? I mean, seeing 100 and 101 is like seeing, well, we'll go back here, a unicorn. Now imagine if you saw an entire stampede of a herd of unicorns, you'd lose your mind. And that's kind of what I, it's to the point where you're like 100. All right. Well, he's he's dialing it back. It's a hundred. And I did note too, that it seemed like in big situations, and against better hitters, he was getting those 102s and threes or 101s and twos. Like he was reaching back and getting it for the guys he really wanted to get, and maybe even send a message like, yeah, I'm better than you. And uh, you're you about want to see find you, out.
1: You, you want to see that competitiveness out of the starter. So it's it's good to see. And obviously now he's in AAA. I know we're all gonna be watching and seeing what he's able to accomplish there because he's a very, very special arm, he's finally healthy, and it's good to see him doing well. Josh, I want to jump over to the guys you saw pitching on the other side, Max Meyer, the third overall pick in last year's draft, and Jake Eater, who's been one of the biggest risers so far in the minor leagues in terms of pitching prospects. What did you see from each of them?
2: Um, I had the magic touch for them. Um, they were meh. Both of them were, were, were not good that day, and I think they'd both tell you that. Uh, Meyer's velocity was not what it had been. Uh, I think he was like 92, 94 that day. And his slider was Outside of a couple, couple flashes, virtually non-existent, uh, which is a big problem for a guy who had the best slider in the class uh, coming out of that draft. And uh, you know, it's just a divergent. When I when I do college national team, what I do is I set up my cameras and I go back to the office, and then I have whatever our college our interns are bring them back to me at the end of the day because they're one of their assignments usually is college national team. So I'll say, just gather up these three cameras and bring them back to me. And I'll cut the video later. And when I get to Max Meyer's slider, whatever year that was, I stopped. I was like, whoa, you don't see that that often. And then you keep seeing it again and again and again. And they, that's a holy crap slider. I saw like two of them uh, at double A. Now, granted, this is the guy starting his pro career at double A. That's not a small jump. Um, But it was, he grinded it out. He had to rely on getting using a changeup to get some rollovers to first base to get him out of jams. Like, it was, it was not what you'd expect. If you didn't know who he was and the stats he came in, you would think this was guy, a, it was okay. It was okay. Uh, and then I thought, okay, that's maybe be an aberration. Maybe I'm seeing that. And then I talked to a guy who saw the next start. He said, yeah, I saw the same thing. Ooh, this is concerning. Eater um, even mentioned uh, in our interview post game that he didn't have enough intent when he got on the mound that day and his stuff was just meh across the board. Um, the velocity was down from what I'd heard. Uh, it was, I guess, the same guy saw this next start. Uh, said it was a tick up. So he much, was much more impressive. Didn't really have command through the first couple innings. Granted, we were playing right on the precipice of what, <laughs> of what looked like it was going to be like a 40-mile-an-hour um, wind kind of hail type scenario that was about to happen. And the wind was bad enough that I literally blew the hat off my head and into the parking lot. Uh, just like you'd see in a cartoon. So maybe that affected him a little bit. There might have also been some external factors there, but he got better as the outing went along. Um, I, he's, he's very impressive for the late round pick that he was, and uh, he, he the, the scouting reports seem to more or less match the stuff except when I see him, which, fine. And we'll see him plenty more because, I assume, because when those two guys get promoted, they're going to go from... School in Jacksonville, and because of the COVID re- reorganized schedules, Jacksonville has something like 30 more games against Durham this year, maybe 28 now because they're in the middle of a series. So, they, I think they have three more series at the D-Backs. So, I don't think this will be the last time I see them this year.
1: Yeah, you know, these are two pitchers that, as you mentioned, the stats so far have been very, very good. Again, just looking at the overall performance, Eater has a ERA of 1.08 through eight starts, Meyer has an ERA of 2.09 through nine starts both these guys jumped straight to double A for their pro debut so you know on the one hand there are definitely things that they need to work on to be sure but I think you look at the overall performance and in terms of keeping runs off the board they've done a good job I do need to bring up Myers walk rate is 4.8 and the start after you saw him he went out and had four scoreless innings but he also walked seven guys Um, what did you see from him in terms of control
2: it was fine I mean it wasn't he, he was bailed out a lot by terrible hitters like with the exception of a couple guys on these rosters you were you, you were not seeing great hitters you were seeing org guys um who were just kind of there um it wasn't it wasn't pretty so against better competition he might have gotten hit a little harder and not been able to get those walks
1: we'll see what these guys are able to do the rest of the season in terms of position players during that series you mentioned jose barrero was there he used the red shortstop for chattanooga How did he look, and were there any other position players? Because there's always guys who maybe they're not considered super high prospects or guys who just kind of pop up, especially this year with there being no minor league games last year. A lot of guys got significantly better over the last year and a half and have come out and kind of made a name for themselves this year.
2: Boy, do I love Jose Barrero. Boy, do I love him. That BP was super impressive. It's a swing that stays in the zone a long time. There's a little bit of lift at the end, and – if he get gets a touch stronger or starts dealing with whatever version of the MLB ball we're going to have these days, when he gets to the big leagues, you're going to see some power. You're going to see hit ability. You're going to see a guy who can play shortstop every day. I, I'm very happy we have him ranked where we do because, you know, I, watching batting practice and watching in the game, that is such a pretty swing. And for a guy who's still very young, I saw him in the fall league after the
1: 2019 season. And even though the numbers there weren't great, it was very clear. This was a very, very impressive player, really defensively, the footwork, the glove work, the actions, the arm. It was really a standout type defender. And I saw him hitting a lot of balls hard again, even though the the numbers in the fall league weren't great. When he made contact, it was loud. It was line shots deep to center field that got run down. There was a lot of strength there. And that was after he led the Florida state league in extra base hits. Then next spring training, he looked really, really good uh, spring training, 2020 then he got put up to the majors. He just was not ready for it at all. He's back in double-A now. And I think the biggest thing with him you've talked about, it's a good swing. There's stump in there. He's a really good defender. He's always just been very, very aggressive in his approach. And that's been the thing that has been kind of the knock against him. He's going to need to learn to be a little more patient, take some of the breaking balls that he's chasing. How did that look right now?
2: For him, I mean, he, he had a great approach the entire day. I, he, I couldn't have been happier with him. Like, I, I loved that that young player. <laughs> I, I, I asked the scout. I did the same call with the scout on the way back while I was dealing with various other things. But he was just impressive in all facets of his game. Like, that was the best position player on that field, hands down. And it, not, even, not even close to anybody else. Just blow away good.
1: Yeah. Now he's, he's a good um, player again. My looks have been good. Your looks have been good. Scout looks have been good. And again, I wouldn't worry about how he struggled in the majors last year. he's making the jump straight from high A and, and someone that I think is a pretty universal agreement is, is a very good player and has a chance to be the red shortstop of the future. Really, they need him to be their shortstop of the present with Kyle Farmer playing and the Eugenio Suarez experiment going as disastrous as you would have expected. But for now, just keeping him down there, letting him kind of add some polish, move up to AAA, that's what's going to be best for him long-term. And I do think there's a universal agreement. He's going to be the red shortstop of the future and a pretty good one. All right, Josh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Grayson Rodriguez, what you saw up at Bowie, but first we're going to take a quick break. And we're back with Josh Norris here to discuss minor leagues, some of the top prospects, what we've seen so far this year. Josh, after your trip out to Chattanooga, you drove back to Raleigh seven and a half hours and then made the drive from Raleigh to Bowie another five hours to go see Grayson Rodriguez. Rodriguez, by any account, is one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Our most recent BA Top 100 update elevated him to the single best pitching prospect in baseball.
2: What did you see from Grayson Rodriguez that day? Um, it was his double-A debut, double-A oh, home debut. And I was really impressed, first of all, with the way the Bowie people marketed it. They they did some sort of gas promotion where you're supposed to bring your gas cans and, I don't know, fill them with change and do whatever and shake them when he throws really hard. And they did. They, you know, That was the biggest crowd they said they'd had in years. Um, and it was impressive because I... Usually my M.O. is to just plop down in the scout seat somewhere. Couldn't. Every ski- seat was sold, so <laughs> I had to move up, which is which is fine. Um, it's great to see actual people there cheering and not cutouts of whoever. But it, it, getting back to what Grayson looked like, um, he didn't have it that night. He threw very hard, but he didn't command it. And he didn't have any out pitches really working. Um, and he said it to, to as much afterward. He didn't have a lot of stuff to pull. To, to To bury a guy for strike three, he got into a lot of foul ball wars, and you know some of the more veteran hitters in the minors. I mean, Alex Call got it for a ringing triple to center. Uh, there was a couple other guys who, uh, tri- tri- uh, Tyler Freeman ended his night with a triple, good prospect in his own right, um, but he just didn't have the signature Grace and Rodriguez stuff that night. So I, I got an uneven outing from him. You saw the raw tools every so often. You saw the the slider flash you know, the, the, the hammer that it is, uh, the, the fastball was, you know, um, hard, you know, touched, touched a hundred a couple times, uh, 97, 99 mostly, but it, it just wasn't all there for him that night. So I got a, an okay outing and, but like uh, Eater and Meyer, if you get to, if he gets promoted again to A, Norfolk plays Bowie, uh, Norfolk plays Durham 8,000 times. And if he gets to A next year, they also play 8,000 times. They almost always start with Norfolk or have the second series at Norfolk. So I will see Mr. Rodriguez again. Um, Abley was, I mean, it's one game. He was he was okay that day. Uh, and the throw that went into center field was not his fault. So um, yeah, that was my experience in Bowie. Uh, Tyler Freeman looked pretty good too. That triple was really impressive. I think he made some hard contact the rest of the day. Um, but it was a... It was a a fun one day trip, got to catch up with some scouts I hadn't seen in a while, Uh, one I haven't seen in years. Um, So I guess what what I've seen from some of those guys, Eater and Meyer and Rodriguez, is that they had to grind through outings. None of those outings were particularly bad. And I wrote a story that's up there at some point about that's a valuable piece of their development. I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're you're Walter Johnson, I don't know what to Walter Johnson. If you're the ace of all aces, Whoever that may be at the given time, you're gonna have stinkers, and you have to learn how to pitch through them. If it's not an absolute disaster, you just you know you're you're a beer league softball pitcher for the for the day outing. You have to learn how to grind through five or six innings, give up two or three runs without your best stuff, and that's part of the development. And I've said it a thousand times, and I'll say it again: the primary reason for the minors is development, and sometimes that's that's struggle is is key just for hitters too. If you're in a slump and they're learning how to pitch you a certain way, that's what this is for. You need to learn how to get around on the slider or the fastball inside or whatever. So I saw very valuable pieces of these guys' development, but you know, I didn't get the, uh, the dominating things that I'm gonna to want to put every pitch of the outing on video or anything like that on Twitter.
1: Well, and again, it's important because a lot of times we see this in the prospect world, and even leading up to the draft, guys get picked apart so, so, so much. Oh, he didn't have this this day. What does this mean? He really as good as everyone thinks he is. Guys have bad days. Guys have days where the ball's just not coming out of their hand, right? Guys have days where they just can't find the feel for whatever pitch, can't find their changeup feel that day. And like you said, if anything, I actually always see it as a positive when hey, this guy did not have his best stuff, and he still got out of there five innings two runs kept his team in it to me that's a positive and i think that it's important to remember like you said that at the end of the day it's about getting outs there's going to be days where you can do it by blowing everyone away there's going to be days where you can't you have to find other ways to stay off the barrel draw weak contact make pitches execute and and i think it's important to see these guys on days they didn't have their best stuff to do that and a lot of times, again, it's you know every now and then we see you know someone freak out. Oh gosh, you know so and so was ninety one, ninety three. Is the velocity down? Is he terrible now? It's like, no. Sometimes just had a bad day. And if you look up, and that happened, and got through six innings, gave you a quality start. That's actually kind of a testament to him. So like you said, it's important to know that these guys are going to have days like this. I mean, guys in the majors have days like this and finding a way to grind through it is an important part of development. And honestly, I, I see it as a plus for these guys, uh, Josh, you finished your trip over at Wilmington where you saw a really intriguing position player group in the Mets system. The Mets affiliate was in town. You saw Francisco Alvarez, you saw Brett Beatty, you saw Ronnie Mauricio,
2: Who stood out to you the most there, and just what did you see during that series? Oh, man. Ronnie Mauricio was so good. He was so good. The BP was worth, uh, I don't know what what the most expensive ticket at that ballpark is, but I would have paid that amount of money to see that BP. That was 80 raw power, period. Uh, He put balls over the batter's eye, and I've got scouts who will back that up, but that was 80 raw power. He put balls over the batter's eye, he put balls over the video board, and he did it I mean, he, his body looks like a baby giraffe. Right? He's just arms and legs and muscle, and it's, it's twitchy. It's so fun to watch. I mean, the ball he hit the in-game for a homer, like, you knew it was gone instantly. It was just a matter of how deep into the Wilmington night it was going to be. I, I, that ballpark is not a hitter's ballpark. He made it look like, you know, Asheville or Lancaster or something like that, just destroyed that ballpark. He was okay at shortstop but what really what really stuck out to me it, now he came into that series on like a two for 29 slump he asked, he has to work on swing decisions for sure but he has the hands and muscle control and body control he got fooled a couple of times on off-speed pitches but he was able to keep the hands back and the body kind of he didn't you know let it all go where he could still get the barrel on pieces of, on, on the ball and put it through i think he put one through the right side and one through the left side for singles and again, with this BP, and this is maybe, I might've made more than this than I should have, but there were a couple of balls where he hit off the top of the cage and it bounced down. And you know, sometimes you you put them out of the way so you don't have an accident. He waited for them to bounce and then he would hit them on the bounce and he barreled all three of them. One to center, one to right, one to the left. It was like, what? You just hit that ball like 280 off the bounce. Like. There's kind of the hand eye coordination to do that is unfreaking real. And I just kind of lost my mind when I saw that. Beatty uh, in DP, it, say, it may have been a tick lower raw power, uh, maybe a seven raw power on him. He was hitting tracers out of that ballpark, mostly to the pulse side, but they were just majestic shots. I could not believe what I was seeing. And then Alvarez. Good Lord, I mean, the kid can put the ball on the barrel and make it make loud noises. It was, that, that BP show was so much fun for three days. I, you know, you don't necessarily have to go see BP every day if you're gonna see a series, sweet mercy. Like if you told me the game wasn't gonna happen, I think I would have gotten my money's worth just by seeing the BPs of those guys. That was so much fun. Um, and then on the field, Bay, you know, he didn't get tested a whole lot of third base, but he was fine there. He did. He there's the split decisions on whether he can stick there, but he got the barrel on a lot of baseballs, especially the first game. He hit some line drives. He did some good things. Alvarez only caught one of the three days that I was there. Uh, He has some questions to iron out throwing mechanics wise. Um, He almost hit his pitcher when the pitcher was squatted on a throw. Um, And they're catching coordinators in the house and mentioned that, yeah, they're, they're working on throwing mechanics. Um, but he's a strong young man who, who definitely wants to be better. When I was talking to him, he was frustrated with the way he was hitting to that point. And when I left, he got like three doubles in the next two days. But he and I think a homer. But he he did show signs of the player that he was at, um, St. Lucie to begin the year. And I'll say this too: like the last two year seventeen-year-olds to dominate the Appy League the way he did are named Guerrero and Franco. So. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a strong, small trend there. I, 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 early in the year, I thought this is one of these next line of monsters that comes up and I, it's going to take a little more work, but he's got such sky high potential. Yeah. Basically I loved, I loved my three days there would, would recommend maybe not stay at that hotel though.
1: Yeah, Alvarez is someone that as soon as he signed, I was doing my annual calls around spring training, just, hey, he looks good to you. And before he'd ever played a professional game before the 2019 season, scouts who were seeing him on the backfields were saying, hey, this guy is really, really good. This is the guy that your eyebrows go up a little bit. And he obviously went out that year, as you mentioned, uh, was in the Gulf Coast League for all of seven games, got bumped up to the Appy League at 17, held his own seeing him this year again, do some really good things. Got off to a red hot start down at Port St. Lucie. quickly was bumped up to high A's in Brooklyn. Now, continuing to do some good things again, 19 year old catcher in the lower levels, there's a very, very high attrition rate for catchers. You always want to take it a little conservatively with them, but there's no question he's someone that, that a lot of people have liked pretty consistently for a long time. And. He's the Mets' number one prospect for a reason. As we were doing the prospect handbook cycle last fall, uh, it became very, very clear that he was the best prospect in this system. And he's certainly living up to it so far here in his full season debut.
2: I mean, 25 walks, 29 strikeouts in 122 at-bats. Dude is 19. And between those two levels, he's at 336,
0: 336,
2: 461, 590. Now the numbers at at uh, at, at the... Haye, are a paltry 284 379 554 with eight doubles and four bombs and a stolen base actually i think i saw him get that stolen base now that i think about it um he's so good they're they're all so good i now uh we'll see what what their future holds but that was as fun a series as i've seen all year and i like i said i've seen a lot of durham i've seen the wander franco show i put on twitter like I saw him go one for six and I lost my mind. I had to be pointed out to me that he was one for six. He hit so many balls hard and made so many web gems. So anyway, anything to talk about Wander Franco, basically. (laughs)
1: One before we get to Franco talk, I do want to ask you a little bit about Ronnie Mauricio. You talk about the really impressive BP, but we do see guys who, in a lot of cases, are, are five o'clock hitters. They have a great BP, but they get into the game and they struggle. And, and Mauricio is hitting two forty-five with a two eighty-six on base this year. It's forty-four strikeouts to nine walks. There has been some extra base power there when he connects. The slug is good, but clearly, anytime you see someone at the lower levels struggling to get on base this much, struggling to hit for average, it's generally not a promising sign. What are the things he needs to work on? What did you see from him namely in terms of his approach?
2: Swing decisions. That's it. That's really that's, that's kind of a biggie.
0: Needs,
2: yeah, I mean that's it. I, mean, I I didn't see it that game because he played like Babe Ruth for 3 games. <laughs> um, but that's what they told me. Like he needs to swing at better pitches. That's I, I I know I know that's a huge problem, but it's a solvable problem. It's it's something you could get better at. It's not you know, one of those things that you're you're saddled with. You know, he doesn't have to change his body or get taller or anything like that, or deal with anything like that. He doesn't have a huge strike zone because he's well, he is tall, but he it's just learning, man. It's reps. There's so much potential there, and that's what again. I'll go back to it. This is what the minor leagues are for: getting better, seeing these pitches, learning what to swing at, what not to swing at. And there's. The, the clay is there. It needs to be molded into something. Right now, it's just a ball. Maybe someday it'll become, I don't know, whatever you, a vase, something you want to make out of clay. I, I kind of lost my own metaphor there. <laughs> the point is, I've seen the good. I know there's the bad, and I'm not super worried about it. He's 20. There's a lot of volatility in 20-year-olds regardless, but I love Ronnie Mauricio. That's so much fun, and I'm trying to see the splits here because I know there's something about it. So it's just like pulling yeah. up the series you
1: were at, he had the series of his life uh, against Wilmington, was just crushing everything at 385, 429, 654. And then the series prior to the one you were at when they were playing Hudson Valley, he went 0 for 17 with eight strikeouts. So you are right. seeing some streakiness but, here, but clearly the right, ability is
2: What they did tell me too is that hitters have trouble at that ballpark in Brooklyn. And to wit, this year, Mr. Mauricio at home is hitting 123, 174, 138, which is a pitcher. Um and away he's hitting 330 364, 670. Wow. With a 1034 ops. That's 18 game. That's, he's had 94 at bats on the road, 65 at bats at home, 18 game. That's a lot of weird. There's three games different, but about 30 at bats difference. But in it, in, in some very long games. Um but in any case, uh, the uh, the splits are stark, and the ballpark in Brooklyn has not been nice to him. Maybe he doesn't care for Coney Island.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. That is a pretty wide split. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the year. But as you mentioned, 20 years old, high A, there's, there's a lot of development left, but there's clearly some talent there.
2: And Josh- a young 20, he won't turn 21 until April 4th next year. So again, there's
1: clearly talent here and just you know, seeing how the development moves along, particularly in regards to, as you mentioned, swing decisions, plate discipline, all the important things. Josh, this was just this one trip. You've been out seeing a lot of games. You mentioned you've been out to Durham a lot, saw a lot of that team. I would ask you who the best player you've seen this year is, but I would imagine the answer is Juan DeFranco.
0: Uh-huh.
2: But if you want to say number two, Vidal Brujan. Um, he's added power, which I remember telling JJ... At one point like that's the last thing if this guy adds power the numbers under the hood are there the physical tools are there this could be a monster and there's there's times when you when he goes up to the plate and you think he's going to hit a home run and then he does he rises to the occasion it seems at least when i'm there maybe the maybe maybe i being there is the occasion um he's 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 very impressive i love watching him he can play all over the diamond he's got offensive skills i wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the in tampa bay at some point this year oh man he's so good <laughs> josh lowe is really good too he can get the barrel to all sorts of pitches um who else did i see i like Luis patino if he learns to uh that he doesn't have to throw 120 miles an hour and instead can throw 97 to 99 or whatever 96 to 97 He'll be excellent. When he gets out of himself, he goes all over the place. But when he just does it nice and easy, I'm making air quotes here because I can't imagine anything 96 to 97 is easy, He's you, t- you don't touch him. And I uh, saw him
1: a lot. But- I saw him a lot in the Padre system when he was in Elsinore. And, and that's always been the thing with him. Fantastic arm, great kid, has the three pitches. We'll show you, obviously, the explosive fastball. We'll show you a plus slider. We'll show you a plus changeup. But the biggest thing with him is just – learning to dial back, kind of maintaining some consistency in his delivery, he'll kind of speed up and start, everything will start moving a little too quickly on him. Just take a deep breath, calm down, stay within yourself. And we saw him make those strides. I actually wrote an article about that in 2019, the difference in the start of the season at Lake Elsinore versus the end of the season, how he'd really learned to dial back. His pitching coach at the time used the phrase harnessing his venom. He has, you know, called him kind of a baby rattlesnake where so much venom and he just tries to use it all right away. It's like, dial it back, focus, execute your pitches and you'll be okay. We've seen flashes of him doing that. And you're right. As long as he learns to do that, he can be a very, very special pitcher. It's a very special arm and a great kid. He's very smart. He's going to figure some things out, but you just need to kind of see that progression. And again, he's 21. He's already been in the majors. This is a very young kid. By no means is he a finished product. A lot of that just comes with time and experience and maturity.
2: And the best arm I've seen this year without a doubt is Cade Cavalli. I mean, that was you pinch yourself to see if you're if you're dreaming, sort of stuff. Like I I don't think I've ever seen I mean, he 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 looked like he's throwing about with as much effort as I would, like a, a ceremonial first pitch. But it was 96 to 99. What? And then you see the the hammer breaking ball and the change up and the the absolute hate in his eyes for the the opposition. Like he struck out, he was either 11 or 13 that night, and I think he could have done more. Like, I, there was a point where I think he was tinkering with stuff. It was like, these, these poor grasshoppers didn't have a chance. And he struck out 11 last night in uh, Harrisburg. He's got 19 whips in his first two double-A outings. Um, I'm su- par- fairly certain he's the minor league leader in, stri- minor league leader in strikeouts by a, a decent margin. Um, he he oof, Boy, he's got such a high ceiling. Oh man, he's he good.
1: Yeah, Kate Cavalli was an interesting case last year in the draft because he was a big guy who threw really hard, and the stuff looked really good. But one of the knocks against him at Oklahoma, and part of the reason he fell as far as he did in the draft, twenty second overall, was that the stuff just always seemed to get hit. It was one of those things where it's great stuff, looks good on a radar gun, and whether it's lack of deception, lack of movement, whatever, it just seemed to get hit a lot more than it should. Now. Once he got to Instructs last year, we started hearing some very, very high praises. Opposing scouts, we got it from within the national system. Lacey Lusk, who does the Nationals for us, ranked him the number one prospect in the system. It was very, very clear as soon as he got to pro ball that there was some really, really special stuff here. And it seems like he's figured it out a little bit just because, again, the knock against him and the reason he fell to 22nd overall was the stuff just got hit a little more than you would have expected.
2: Right. I mean, this year, he's got 84 strikeouts in eight, – 88 strikeouts. What? In 52 and a third innings. Come on. 82 strikeouts, 20 walks, 33 hits in 52 and a third innings. Come on. Stop playing. This is <laughs> this is just freak nasty. I was, I was really hoping I was going to get to see him against the, the Mauricio – Uh, Alvarez Beatty trio but it turns out when you throw seven innings no hit ball with 15 strikeouts and they promote you selfish really the Nats officials didn't allow me to get him one more time Um, and I I, you know whatever (laughs) but anyway once was enough I should stop being greedy
1: it's Um, interesting you mentioned that one of the best guys you've seen in many many years and the guy who just makes you go are you kidding me the guy that I still think about who did that for me it was Tyler Now, when he was pitching for Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. They came down to face Durham and he was unbelievable. And you could see that there was going to be something really, really special here. If he could just figure out a, a few things, you know, one thing here, one thing there. And it took him a little while and he did. But it's just funny you mentioned Cavalli being the kind of guy that makes you go, you know, wow, what am I seeing? That was actually Glass now for me and just a really really tremendous pitcher and clearly it took him going into a new system to figure it out funny enough in the race system but it, it was pretty special that Tyler now was able to do that for me as my all-time best guy I saw in the minors.
2: Mine I, it, no one will ever top Jose Fernandez never not in a thousand years what I saw the, the, the first time I saw him. the only nope. <laughs> <Sorry>. time <laughs> I saw him they nope sorry you don't care who you are you're not besting him that was the most unbelievable electric what you saw in the majors when he was there is what i saw in the minors at low A. it was on freaking believable from start to finish um and the outing didn't it wasn't one of those 20 strike 20 15 strikeout outings you know no hits or whatever but i mean the the baseball moved like it was possessed uh, it was nuts anyway uh, again nothing anything to talk about jose fernandez r.i.p
1: Josh, moving on to back to kind of present day, I think one of the things that has been really, really interesting is even with all the uncertainty about last year and the fact guys that hadn't really had any real game action for two years almost, coming into the year as we put together the top 100, this was the most uncertain top 100 that had ever been put together because you're dealing with data that's again 18 to 20 months old. You're not getting the same number of opposing scout looks, opposing manager looks, anything like that. You're working with a lot less information. But as we put together the top of the list, which we can all acknowledge is most important, one of the things that really stood out for me just in talking to general managers, assistant general managers, pro scouting directors, anyone and everyone was that it was a consensus top two. It was Wander Franco's one, Adley Rutschman's is two. There is no one else in consideration. Those guys are head and shoulders above anyone else. And there's a gap between them and everyone else. The number three spot was where you started to get a little bit of, when we sourced out the list that we put together with Julio Rodriguez at three, what came back pretty often was that's fine. He's absolutely worthy there. But I also could see CJ Abrams, who he had number 11 being there. There was a sense that that three to 10, 11 group in a lot of ways was kind of interchangeable. Julio wasn't wrong there at number three, but it was a, a much smaller gap. Again, there's a very clear one, a very clear two. And as you got in that three to 11 range, there were a lot of guys who you felt like you could put there and no one would object. Like, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of separation there. And as the season has gone on, we've talked about who are the best players you've seen. You mentioned Juan de Franco and Vidal Brujan and talk about some of the best players I've seen. Julio Rodriguez is on another planet. I got to see him during the Americas qualifier for the Dominican facing guys who had major league time. In some cases were signed by major league teams shortly after the tournament, or in some cases are part of major league organizations who guys were in AAA throwing 96 that have been in the big leagues within the last year or two. And he completely held his own. This was a ridiculous young player, the type of guy that makes you go wholly expletive. It was ridiculous raw power. You talk about 80, and I've backed this up with scouts. It is 80, and he's getting to it in games. But the thing that really stood out is there was a lot of contact made. This wasn't a big guy who just swings hard and swings and misses a lot, and when he occasionally makes contact, the ball goes out. He made a lot of contact. The outs were very, very, very hard. He gave himself a chance every at bat. He made adjustments. Of course, there were times he swung and missed badly, but he never swung and missed badly again. He made an adjustment the next pitch and punished it. And I think the thing that really stood out to me also was seeing his athleticism in right field. He moved really, really, really well. And I talked to a scout the other day who got 60 time on him. And anytime you have a guy who's this big, this physical, who moves like that, that athleticism, that strength, that youth, that's when something special happens. And I think what's been interesting for me is as the season has gone on, talking to scouts, seeing guys ourselves, uh, I think having Julio Rodriguez at three I've grown more comfortable with that and talking to scouts around the game, they have too. that Julio has really separated himself. Again, CJ Abrams is really, really good. Jared Kalanick is really, really good. Spencer Torkelson's really, really good, but what's come up is yeah, Julio has separated himself and become the very clear number three behind those two. And for me, he has been the best player in the minor leagues I've seen this year with room to spare.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've never had the good fortune of, well, I I've very rarely seen him. Like I got saw him one game, and he was with West Virginia when he was with Green- when Greensboro came in and I just, whatever reason, whenever I saw his team in the fall league, he was either out of the lineup or hurt. So I would not get to see him a lot, but from the numbers and what we hear from people, I think when we do the list next year, uh, assuming everything goes to plan, he's the number one prospect in baseball.
1: I wouldn't I, put him I, above I would,
2: Adley. I, 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 would, I don't I expect- would, Without question. I think this is a five tool superstar. I think this is going to be the face of that franchise. For a long
1: time we're looking at two players who have a chance to be perennial mvp candidates and again that's just not me and josh spitting our own opinions here this is talking to high level evaluators but, yeah. <laughs> but these are these are these are guys who do this for years i mean people are throwing 70s on these players guys who are shoe-ins to start the all-star game every year are top 10 mvp finishers many years in a row in their prime and are the face of their franchises. And both of these guys are truly exceptional players, but seeing Julio this year, again, it was the mix of how much contact he's making. it was his ability to play up to level of competition and hold his own against guys, triple a major leagues. It's the ability to just do everything. Again, it's not even like he's just a big power hitter. He makes a lot of contact. He plays a really good right field. He moves really well. He's big, he's fast. And Oh, by the way, He plays with that joy and passion that Fernando Tatis Jr. plays with. That just makes him so much fun to watch. And also, it makes him a presence on the field. I mean, again, a lot of the energy Tatis plays with, that directly correlates to his success. And it's the same thing with Julio. This is a really special player, and that for me has been the guy this year that, again, just makes you go, you know, there's a lot of guys who make you go, oh, wow, this guy's really good, or raise your eyebrows. There's a very, very, very few select players every year who make you go, Holy expletive! Ronald Acuna was a holy expletive player for me. Julio Rodriguez is a holy expletive player for me.
2: Yep. Um, you know, it, one one thing too to note with with Julio and with um, Adley. I mean, Julio Rodriguez is twenty years old. He's not going to be twenty one until uh, December 29th. Um, he's demolished every level he's been at. It's not that many levels, and he. Uh, I'm I'm hoping. I get to see him here in a few days when I get to see Everett. I um, I know he's at the another Olympic qualifier right now, right?
1: Yes, he's currently participating for the Dominican Republic. They are one win away from qualifying
2: for the Olympics. Okay, so when he's done with that, he's either coming back to Everett or going to Arkansas. And I'm very much hoping the answer is going back to Everett. Um, And then I hope we see him at the Futures game too. I did predict two years ago, before COVID was a thing, uh, that he would be the MVP of the next Futures game. So I've got a lot riding on this very very long play of (laughs) Julio Rodriguez as as futures game MVP. So hopefully he comes out in Denver and does uh, and is in the game in Denver and does all sorts of good things. Um, Anyway, yeah, he's he's been excellent at multiple levels. I mean, last year he in very small sample in the Cal League in 2019. 462, 514, 738. I was
1: getting texts. I'll never forget the text from Scouts saying, Have you seen Julio? I said no, because at that time Modesto was not coming down to play at the South Division teams anymore and saying this guy's worth driving up for. And then I did Drive, that story. Hours. And then I did that story talking to Denny Hawking and some other managers in the league where Again, the quotes spoke for themselves, people who had played Major League Baseball, people who had been in the game for years and years and years. He's the guy that people reach out to say, you have to go see this guy. That doesn't happen very often. So he's he's truly tremendous. I would say the other guys that have jumped out to me this year, at West especially, Noel Marte with the Mariners, a really, really good player. Very young. What's been really impressive there is he has some really good takes. And we talk about swing decisions. We talk about plate discipline, strikes on recognition. He's still young. He's still swing and miss from time to time. He'll still chase every now and then, but on the whole, you see really good plate discipline and the ball comes off his bat loud. And I actually saw him make a really nice play at shortstop last night. A lot of people do expect him to move to third base, but it's not going to be a problem. This is an impact hitter and a really, really good young player. Uh, Diego Cartaya, Dodgers catcher, another really, really, really impressive young player. What he does at the plate, just the sound of the balls off the bat, it's one of those sounds that it's special. And then as well, Tyler Soderstrom, uh, the catcher for Stockton, has been really, really impressive as a hitter. i uh, still working on some things defensively, but those are some of the guys out West that have really, really raised some eyebrows. And again, a lot of these guys are big names, but there's a lot of big names who every year come out and struggle, and that's especially true this year. But there are certain guys who really come out and just make an impression on everyone. And I think on my end, again, Julio above and beyond everyone else. Then over here in the Cali at the lower levels, again, you look at Cartaya, you look at Soderstrom, you look at Marte. I have not had a chance to see San Jose yet, but the reviews, interestingly, on Luis Matos are every bit as good as the reviews on Marco Luciano. And that's been one of the more interesting developments. I actually had someone tell me straight up that if you had to ask him Marco Luciano or Luis Matos, he would say it was a tie. And that's not because Luciano is not good. It's because of how good Matos has been. And by the way, speaking of Giants, Joey Bart is getting excellent, excellent reviews up in AAA. This is someone that struggled last year in his major league debut. Again, had barely played A. was asked to come in and catch at the major league level on the fly, which is very, very difficult. Now he's back. Buster Posey's doing his thing in San Francisco. Bart doesn't have to worry about that. He can just develop at a natural pace. And he's looked very good. So, so the future of the Giants is looking really good right now, in addition to their present with the best record in the National League.
2: Yep. Um, those all sound like good players. Um, you know I'm a I'm a notable fan of Luis Matos. Um, I I love that young man. I said I said in one of these last podcasts, and I said it on Twitter yesterday, I would sell my soul to watch that San Jose club every day. I would really appreciate it. The Giants would promote Luciano or Matos or Harrison here in the next 25 to, to 72 hours so I could see them in Eugene for a bunch of days. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, I, I will look forward to seeing them next year at that level. Um, yeah, their, their system is extremely fun to do. I love Marco Luciano. I'm a huge Kyle Harrison fan. I'm a huge Luis Matos fan. Um, I look forward to the day where I can get to see those guys in person. I hope one or two of them is in Denver. That'd be, that'd be really nice, too. Um, although I, don't, I would not wish Denver on a pitcher. So sorry, Kyle Harrison, that it's not you.
1: Josh, one of the things that is always kind of fun every year is seeing guys who kind of pop up in a way, guys who either just didn't rank in top 30 in their organization or guys that, you know, just were not kind of on radars, but show up. And it's very clear. These are good players who who have a future in Major League Baseball. At the end of the day, that's what prospects are. It's guys who have a future in Major League Baseball. Have there been any guys for you this year that you just, for whatever reason, weren't that aware of, weren't on your radar? You saw them play, and, and it's like, hey, there, there's something here. This guy's pretty good.
2: I mean, Joe Gray, I've talked about him on the podcast before. Um, he's really interesting. He's got a lot of loud tools. He can defend. He can run. His power is just monstrous. Um, those are three really key tools. He does swing and miss, but he has the most extra base hits in the minor leagues. He hits home runs. You know, He, he punishes baseballs and he can do a lot of really fun things that if he can get them to be skills instead of tools, you have a guy who has a very, very, very high ceiling and had been limited because of injuries, I believe, and the, the whole pandemic thing uh, that's still ongoing, by the way. Um, he's one of those guys that jumped out to me. Let's see, who else? Is anybody who really, really jumped out? I mean, I didn't know a whole heck of a lot about Abner Uribe. Um, cause so it was 102 miles an hour. Actually, I, I've seen the Mudcats a thousand times this year and still haven't seen him in person, but, uh, I know about him. Um, this so to be clear, we're really... talking about
1: Brewer, Brewer's prospects here. Joe Gray is a Brewer's outfield prospect, second rounder 2018 out of uh, Hattiesburg high school in Mississippi. And he's been off to a great, great start. Very, very loud numbers across the board, average on base power, everything you want to see. Uribe is a 21 year old reliever in the uh, Brewers system as well. And he has 41 strikeouts in 26 innings. He also has 19 walks for uh, a mm-hmm. 6.5 walks per night. But as you mentioned, young guy with a great arm who throws hard, there's always room for that.
2: Yeah. Um, I think those are the ones that really jump off the page to me. I don't know if I've seen any other real uh, pop-ups for me. Um, I know of guys who have popped up, but I haven't seen them um, I'll spill the oh, There's a left left hander, a right hander, in Palm Beach named Paniagua, and I'll get his first name in Owen. I believe is his first name Paniagua. He's getting really good grades from scouts. Um, he could be a rotation piece um, uh, that I've heard about. I mean, this isn't so much a pop up guy since he was a draft guy last year, but Jordan Walker has hit the ball like nobody's business this year in terms of exit velocity. Uh, I don't know why I'm stuck on Cardinals, but I am. Um, who else comes up to mind? I'm thinking of another name. Oh, and not really a pop-up guy either, but kind of a we didn't know we. The uh, There was questions about what he was considering his pro debut. He had mononucleosis and then there was the pandemic and he didn't go to the site. That's Anthony Volpe. And he's gotten tremendous reviews in the low-A Southeast, formerly known as Florida State League, as a guy who – you know, might not have any 70s on the card, but he could be a plus hitter uh, with above average power. Play shortstop, not going to be a standout shortstop, but be shortstop. Intangibles off the charts, even keel in the big situations. Wants to be that guy with the bat in his hands when it matters. Wants to learn as much as he can. And this guy has jumped immeasurably since the season has begun. I'll stick with the Yankees. There's a guy named Stephen Ridings who throws the hell out of the ball 99 to 101, 102. Um, and is he's uh, got to be doing really well this year at the end of games for, um, for AA Somerset. Uh, let's see who else really comes to mind. Uh, those are really the ones I'm thinking about off the top of my head. Who do you have in mind?
1: Yeah, two guys for me, and they were actually guys who are playing for Team USA. The first was Luke Williams, Phillies prospect. Um, the Phillies are not one of my organizations. I never really had, you know, Eastern league coverage or Sally league coverage or, or really, you know, I saw Lehigh Valley when they came in to play Durham, but uh, just really had very little familiarity with the Philly system, just because again, they're not one of my systems. And I, I never really saw many of their affiliates play. So I really, I had honestly never heard of Luke Williams before the tournament, before the America's qualifier. The first time I'd ever heard his name was when Team USA released their roster and seeing him during that tournament. It was really, really, really impressive. This guy who had really, really good at bats, consistently hit the ball hard on a line. Actually, hit a home run. Played a really, really good left field. Fast base runner was an aggressive base runner, but smart. I mean, it's a really well-rounded player who did a lot of things well. Good at bats, hard line drives. And he went into that tournament expected to be kind of a at the bottom of the order, play multiple positions. You know, maybe start against some left-handers. And he ended up being Team USA's leadoff hitter and was one of the best hitters on that team, better than Jaron Duran, better than Tristan Casas, better than a lot of these position players in terms of performance. And I'm not saying he's better than both those guys in terms of his major league future, but for a guy who literally did not rank in the top 30 in one of baseball's worst systems with the Phillies. Uh, this was someone who really jumped out. I mean, again, he could run. He could run the bases. He could play defense. He could hit for average. You know, consistently got on base. There was a lot there. And two days after the qualifier ends, he got called up by the Phillies. And they've played him as their starting shortstop. They've put him in right field. They've moved him around the diamond. He's had some big moments, calling a walk-off home run, for his first big league home run. I mean, again, just, just a good player. And, and talking to scouts about him, it's like, yeah, th- there's absolutely home on a major league bench for this guy. You know, does he start every day in the major leagues? Probably not, but this is a good player who can do a lot of things for you. And so that was a guy that really, for me, literally went from a guy I'd never heard of to this guy's a really good baseball player. And there's definitely room for him in the major leagues. And we're seeing that he's in the major leagues right now. And the Phillies are using him as much as they need. And the other guy on that USA team that, again, guy I never heard of because not one of my orgs, they don't play in a league I cover either. Uh, Mark Colesberry, catcher in the red system, smaller guy, all about 5'8", 180, and it was huge power. He was hitting home runs in games off the batter's eye in FSL parks. It was really, really impressive to see how much power this guy has. His legs are crazy strong. The other thing that really stood out is he put Tim Fedorovich on the bench as the starting catcher. I mean, he won the starting catcher's job. He handled the young starters on Team USA really, really well. Matthew Libertor, Joe Ryan, Simeon Woods-Richardson, and also the veterans. You know, talking to some evaluators from out there, they said – a lot of the veterans, I mean, their pitch making ability was really, really good. And they gave Coles a lot of credit for that. He handled a diversity of arms, you know, Mike Sosha's team knows his manager and anyone who covered the angels for a long time, understands Sosha demands a lot from his catchers. Doesn't matter the setting he's going to demand a lot. The fact that Mark Coles put Tim Fedorovich, who's a very good veteran defensive catcher on the bench, essentially tells you a lot. So, so those are the two guys for me seeing Luke Williams, just his versatility, everything he could do. And, and Colesbury, the power he possessed in a small frame and then what he was able to do defensively in terms of guiding those pitchers and really just managing the game. And he also provided a little bit of a spark for that team in the eighth spot in the order. Those are two guys that, again, just literally went from I had never heard of them to there's a spot in the majors for these guys. Again, are they going to be starting every day on a first division team? Probably not, but I mean, is there room for these guys to, to get to the majors and stay there? Absolutely. And that's what being a prospect is. And, and those are two guys that, for me, I thought really, really jumped out. One guy I saw last night, I went to see Lake Elsinore versus Modesto. And uh, Lake Elsinore came out with a reliever in the ninth inning who was an NDFA signing last year named Chase Walter. Six foot seven right-hander was pumping 96 with 87 to 89 mile an hour sliders, and I've seen this a couple times. We saw last year the shortened five round draft that a lot of guys who normally would have been drafted sixth, seventh, eighth round were signed as NDFA's for twenty thousand dollars. And I've noticed the NDFA group is pretty talented. I've seen a couple pitchers, especially. I'm like, can't believe this guy was an NDFA, and he wouldn't have been if not for last year's shortened five round draft. But seeing again a six foot seven righty pumping ninety six with eighty seven mile an hour size. for strikes, by the way, not like he was all over the place. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Sit down, done. Good night, guy. I only knew the name because I remember inputting his name into our NDFA tracker last year. Minor league reliever, low A. You don't want to go crazy, but I think just seeing that stuff from an NDFA, especially even understanding the circumstances,
2: definitely makes your eyebrows raise a little bit. And that's the fun of the minor leagues. Um, if it was just top 100 prospects and they performed as such then it would be kind of boring but seeing these guys who you would never heard of I mean that's why I like going to the AZL well I've never been to the AZL but I want to Uh, the GCL uh, lower lowest levels possible to see these guys before they're anything that's the fun of this I love watching Wander Franco but Wander Franco is a known commodity he's a brand name right now you know but seeing the the Wander Franco before he's Wander Franco that's even more
1: fun. This, by the way, I think those who listen to the podcast know Josh and I are very different. I'm very different. I just want to see good players, good baseball. I don't care when I see them. I'd rather watch Wander Franco than anyone in the AZL. But you understand, there's definitely players that are fun to watch and really talented players. And at the end of the day, that's what this is about. So Josh, any final thoughts here before we wrap up this minor league check-in podcast?
2: Well, if you don't hear from me any longer, it means I've melted because we're getting a heat wave here in Oregon. It's supposed to be possibly up to 113 here on Sunday. In Oregon? Which, Good Lord, In Oregon, which doesn't happen. Uh, they've already, the two teams, Eugene and uh, Hillsborough, have already moved up their games. Like Hillsborough is going to play at 11 a.m. to avoid uh, their fans melting. Um, so if, if you don't hear from me after this, it means I have melted into a puddle, and I am no longer a bear. I am a puddle. So that's, you know. That's going to be interesting, but in, in serious news, um, you know, ten days or whatever it is of the Northwest League, then onto the Futures game, then back home, and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, we're going to have I'm going to have stories about Hunter Green and the the various kids I saw on uh, prospects I saw on um, Brooklyn, uh, and then whatever comes up here. We'll have lots of coverage from the Futures game. Uh, there's going to be midseason prospect reports coming soon. Uh, an updated midseason top one hundred. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other stuff that I'm not thinking about. Oh, there's a whole draft that's going on that's going to happen in a couple uh, weeks here. Uh, that will, will basically, the the good majority of the BA crew is going to be in Denver for either the draft or the Futures game or both. So It's going to be a good time to be a BA subscriber for the next... Well, it's always a good time to be a BA subscriber, but the content's going to be coming hot and heavy the next month and a half, month, two months, and there's best tools and league top 20s and then, bam, we're back into the off season. So yeah. it, it's it's so weird that this minor league season is like seven or eight weeks old. Not eight weeks yet, because that would be that would be July fourth. Would be eight weeks, and it seemed like it's five minutes and forty years. It seemed like the longest season and the shortest season at once. I don't quite understand how this is working, but that's how it's working.
1: Well, I think that's pretty much what the year twenty twenty was like. It was the longest year ever, and at the same time, it's been like. Man, it feels so long ago because luckily things are starting to open up and get back to normal. And like Josh said, it's a great time to subscribe to BA. Draft coverage coming up. We had a new mock draft drop today. Midseason updates are coming up. Get a lot of updates on all the top prospects in minor league baseball that you can't find anywhere else. Go ahead and subscribe today. And for this podcast, go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. This has been another edition of the BA Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?